Hey, this is your Aunties Could Never, a podcast where you get to hear from your favourite aunties who have all the real talk with our thoughts on what's going on in the world. We'll be reminiscing about what it was like back in our day, and most importantly, we'll be helping you sort out your daily dilemmas with advice only your coolest auntie will give. I'm Auntie AK, and I'm here with... Auntie Farah. Auntie Nana. And Auntie Shale. Hey ladies, hey ladies, it's week 26, it's not even week 26, that's such a lie. Episode 26. <laughs> um, <laughs> Auntie, how are you? Is everybody good? Good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. Auntie Bit Farah. cold. Yes, there's this. I'm cussing all you agents of Antarctica, look what you're trying to do. Don't worry, the Sun Warriors will be back. Auntie Farah, who's your person of the week? My person of the week is my niece, Shay Shay, who passed numerous amounts of GCSEs and done exceedingly well. She got A's and B's. We're all really proud of her. Big up to Shay Shay. You are my person of the week, but you're always my person because your birthday's the day before mine, even though I call you a birthday. Oh, well done. Yeah, go on, niecey. Go on, niecey, Shay. Brilliant news. Okay, let's get into the headlines. Auntie Shade, I think you're going first. So, this week, I want to talk about Famalam, BBC Free sketch show that I actually quite enjoy. But anyway, so unfortunately, they received some complaints this week because one of their sketches, it went viral, and it was a sketch of a Jamaican version of Countdown. So those that don't know, that Countdown's kind of like, like it's a word and numbers quid show. And they basically... Parry did it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they had, you know, I mean, it was just very stereotypical nonsense. So they had like the girl that would play Carol, I guess. She wasn't really interested. They kind of like turned, like putting up the consonants and the vowels into like a song with a beat. They had one of the contestants like smoking weed. But the most controversial part of it is that in the background of like the countdown clock ticking down, there was a silhouette of a black man with a very, very large penis. Very large penis. Swinging it around and that sort of thing. So, my question to the aunties is, were you offended? Or did you find it funny? Is the criticism fake outrage? And do you think there are instances where we're not allowed to laugh at ourselves? Watching the sketch, I thought, it's amusing. I wasn't offended. I guess I'm not Jamaican, so maybe that's why I wasn't offended. But I did think, watching it a few times, I was like, this is actually really lazy comedy. And it could have been way more punchy. It could have been more sophisticated. And I really did see how this really appeases the BBC and their standards of comedy as well. I can see how white executives would pass this because the commentary that I would have preferred, instead of going into all of the various Jamaican stereotypes, ganja smoke, everything, literally everything was thrown in there. It would have been better even if you had that, but they were still intellectuals. So you have everything else going on, like we can dance our way through life and you could still get a nine-letter word on there. Like I just think there were so many points that could have been more sophisticated, but they went down the road of just pure offence. That's my only criticism. I don't think that we need to be up in arms about it, really. I feel uh, an in-house dialogue could have taken place, but not the complaints to the BBC, not the Jamaican High Commissioner getting involved. Like I just thought, we don't need more excuses for there not to be a black comedy show. And this just felt like it could be an excuse. 
loads of people sent this to me and I didn't look at it. I only looked at it when um, we started talking about it and I was like, oh, is that what it was? And then I looked at it and then I realized that most of the people that sent it to me are Jamaican. So they weren't offended by it. I totally agree with you, Auntie Nana. I wasn't like holding my sides in laughter or anything like that. I think you're absolutely right. It was lazy. It was amusing, but it was amusing in a really lazy way. If they had done it straight laced, like you said, but speaking in Patois and doing things like that, that would have been a lot more amusing. I don't know if it's necessarily that it's ticking a box just for the BBC. It's that stereotypical thing, isn't it? Like that's easy comedy that, that gets commissioned across the board. It's not just a BBC thing. I didn't find it amazingly funny. It was just okay. They could do better. I got sent it. I saw it on, I think, I think Samson K.O. He's one of the actors in it. He put it on his Instagram and I watched the first clip. So what I saw was up until, or I didn't take much notice, but I enjoyed the Anaconda and I started jamming. So I thought it was funny. And then that was it. But then a Jamaican friend of mine sent it to me. And there's another group that I'm in of older black women who it turned into uproar. So from Saturday to Sunday, I was embroiled in this back and forth debate where it started to get into the realms, especially in the women's group of back in the day, tensions between Caribbeans and Africans. And that's when I was a bit like, this is getting out of control. So in speaking to my friend one-on-one, he was like, this is super offensive. And because I hadn't watched the whole thing, I thought, what's going on? It's only like, I'm taking it like, you know, Caribbeans and Africans, but Caribbeans, especially Jamaicans, to make a tune out of the most mundane. So I thought, yeah, this is funny though. That's what's wrong with that stereotype. But then he goes, no, watch it. So I saw the dick and I saw the weed and I was like, oh, that was lazy. So then I was like, yeah, I can understand why people are offended. But in the other group, there was this kind of vigor to take them down. And there was like, and it's just very them and they between Jamaicans who were dominating the conversation and everybody else. So I felt uncomfortable. Tom Mucci, one of the actors, did a tweet thread of defending the show, saying that people aren't talking about the African aunties. We stereotype everybody, which the show does. It stereotypes lots of people. However, it came across as defensive and saying that black people can't laugh at themselves. And in that, he said, Africans and Caribbeans, blah, 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 blah. We stereotype all of them. The woman in the group was like, yeah, I don't like when people call us Jamaicans, Caribbeans. And I was like, I don't understand the difference because you're okay calling Africans, Africans. Then she expanded to say, well, the Caribbean's made up of lots of different islands. So I think she was trying to say tarnishing, well, exactly, tarnishing everybody with one um, title. The specific aunties sketch is about Nigerian aunties. So if you're okay calling them African, then it should be okay to call Jamaicans Caribbean in the broad context. So I just got into this back and forth that I wasn't comfortable with. I ended up having to speak to the, one of the creators and seeing how he felt. And he said, yeah, he's been spent the whole weekend on the phone. They've had to do damage control with the cast and all that type of stuff. And it's exactly what you're saying, Nana, about the outrage can then end up canceling a show and getting a completely black creative show off the air. Now, I'm not, I think that we don't have a right, anyone who's not Jamaican doesn't have the right to tell a Jamaican how to feel. I think that's fair. But I would have preferred an internal conversation. I would have, would have preferred that actually, let's get these young creators and educate them in the ways that actually this could be possibly offensive. Sorry, my last point, people were also throwing up that Real McCoy is available on BBC iPlayer and that comedy still stands. My whole plan was to try and watch every single Real McCoy episode before I came to have this conversation, but I couldn't fit it in. But just watching the first one, I was like, yes, but there were also stereotypes in Real McCoy. And though that, and I think actually the argument's more about African actors and creatives doing jokes about Jamaicans. And I think that's an underlying issue as well, rather than actually it being offensive. Because Real McCoy did play with stereotypes, but they were all a Caribbean crew and cast. 
predominantly. I'm not Jamaican in it. So at first look, uh, I think it's the same as you, Auntie AK. Like I didn't see what black people to be offended by. What I was concerned about, like people outside of us what they're going to be laughing at and reinforcing those stereotypes that did cross my mind personally i didn't think it was particularly lazy i watch like british comedy anyway and you get this type of stuff all the time you know in relation to the groups that they're you know mocking or whatever kind of thing so i it's to me it's kind of like expected to a certain extent but i don't know i thought it was all right initially but then, you know, I looked at the other clips as well. And there was a clip where it had um, the two Jamaican guys that are fighting for this white woman. It's at the wedding. He's tried to come to crash the wedding. Sorry, spoiler alert. But in the end, it turns out the guy's Nigerian. Where is the actual uproar about that? Because that is a stereotype, no, of Nigerians pretending to be Jamaicans and putting on accents and all this kind of stuff. And literally the end of the scene is everyone turning against the Nigerian guy. But there isn't that same kind of uproar. And I just think it just goes down to that people are only offended by what they care about. Do you know what I mean? That that's what it comes down to. So like you say, you can't tell people how they feel about something but I do think there is especially when it comes to comedy there is like a thin line do you know what I mean like and it's always been blurry like I don't think any well I can't speak for everybody but like when I'm watching American black comedy I'm laughing my head off do you know what I mean some people might be offended by that stuff Chris Rock was when I was growing up very controversial character you know Dave Chappelle <laughs> they say some mad stuff but we laugh but we're not thinking about the people that may be necessarily offended by it as well um, and it's not even put up in the way that oh you should be offended I don't know like I feel like there is a preciousness that is happening to be honest but then at the same time who am I to say I don't know I don't know I'm like kind of on the fence a little bit it's taken away the focus of where we're supposed to be mm. and what we're supposed to be looking at Let's not argue amongst ourselves about stuff like this. There's other things that we need to be arguing about. It just seems like it took the focus away. And I'm not Jamaican, so I can't say, but I didn't necessarily see that as just a Jamaican stereotype, even though they were doing Jamaican accents. Those stereotypes, you could put a flag up and change the accent slightly, and those stereotypes would fit a lot of black cultures. So I hope we're not getting into this whole you're African, you're Caribbean. And I don't get why that Jamaican woman would say to you, don't refer to me as a Caribbean. It's not like you said the Caribbean is one country. Though if she said that, refer to her as West Indian. I'd more understand that. Because exactly. there's a whole thing about being West Indian. And I try my best not to say that. I try my best as Caribbean. I had to watch the whole series for context. And contextually, if it wasn't for that little, maybe the weed and the dick from that particular sketch, the whole series it would have been forgotten about. I think that maybe they made a mistake and they underestimated how people would react to it. That's why they put it out first, to court controversy, attention and drama, which will then lead people to watch the series. But the series is quite funny. I think they did very well. But there are a bunch of stereotypes, as mentioned. There's an African dictator. You've got the Nigerians doing the Nigerian fraud thing as a sketch. So there's all these other stereotypes for other African cultures. And it is that. Where's the outrage for that? And that's what Tom Mucci, I think, was trying to explain in his tweet, that... There was no outrage when you've had the stereotypes that we've had in seasons one and season two. And there are other um, things that you could be outraged about. I've talked about the fact that they mock, even though it's kind of like a reverse mocking of road boys. When um, Michael Dapper did no, Man's Not Hot, that's actually mocking road boys, basically saying that's the earliest written and done. But then if you really want to be serious and criticise that, you've got 
young black boys in schools who are marginalized and disproportionately affected from systemic racism and keeps them from educating themselves to the, to, to the fullest. So then should we not mock road boys then and stuff like that? So then it goes into what can we, and it is, I think Shadi asking your first question was, can we not laugh at each other? Can we not mm. laugh at ourselves? And I also am concerned about us always feeling like we have to perform for white people, whether we wear a suit or baggy trousers, talk Cockney or speak the Queen's English, they don't respect us at large. Society is built up where it's not for us. So we can't keep performing for them. We, and as long as we have programs and films and stuff that is on a platform that's made and built by white folks, we're never gonna be able to keep our dirty laundry quiet. We're never gonna be able to keep our isms away from them. They're gonna pick up on it anyway. So it's about being in control of those narratives. I think lazy stereotypes, we can get to the side. And I think it could be elevated, like Nana said, a more elevated scene. I, I kind of had that conversation with some of the creators and said, look, you just have to be more conscious when, especially if you're not of a culture, to speak about another culture. Because I had to then say, if it was Caribbeans talking about something out of African culture, I might be sensitive. I might not go back the way, say, way some people have, but I might be sensitive. I might be like, you know what, can you be a bit more conscious of what you're doing? Because there's other there's cultures within Africa. I don't even know all Nigerian cultures. I could say something offensive about Nigerians as a Ghanaian because I've been ignorant. I could do some stereotypes. Do you know what I mean? And so maybe be conscious of that. I think that the mocking of Africans is more naturalized. Like if yeah. you look at like shows like Coming to America, do you know what I mean? If you watch that as an adult, it's ridiculous <laughs> when you think yeah. about it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that that's why there maybe isn't such outrage because yeah. it's just been seen as normal. The other thing is the argument that I was just like, mm, okay, cool. I, I can see where they're coming from is that with the auntie sketch, was that like the Nigerian aunties, they're arguing that it's positive stereotypes. Do you know what I mean? It's not an equal argument that one is reinforcing what's seen as negative stereotypes and one is reinforcing what's seen as positive stereotypes. They don't equate to each other. So I thought like, okay, cool, I can see that. But then my point with the other scene with the two Jamaican and one fake Jamaican fake, <laughs> that's actually Nigerian. See, of course, it makes me laugh. I don't know, it's funny to me. But... Um, <laughs> But that's easier to compare. You know, they're both negative stereotypes, but one is being more highlighted than the other. But I must admit, the silhouette of the man, <laughs> even though I felt the scene was funny, I was not expecting that. I can't mm -hmm. lie. I was not expecting yeah. that at all. That was like out of nowhere. But I don't know. I quite like controversial comedy, yeah. to be exactly. honest. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it yeah. entertained me. I thought that was the most entertaining part. <laughs> it was startling and I was like oh my god but other than that I felt I really wanted more like that more out of the box like so that it startles us but that's just a critique on comedy really than mm. being offended I I was more offended at the outrage mm. I found that offensive because I was mm. like really we should be better than this and you should understand that you can just complain to the comedians because they're very accessible they're all online then to be like, oh, we're going to take it to the BBC and we're going to go through these complaints. It's like, really, like, just let the thing grow. Like, it's only their third season. Everybody grows from it. You can hear and they'll reflect themselves. It just felt a bit over the top. But again, I'm not Jamaican. So, you know, outrage is outrage. However you want to do it, do it. But I just was a bit like, can we just chill? There was also reference, I said Real McCoy, and I said, actually, Felix Dexter's African student character was offensive mm. to us because that, there was a stereotype that there was always an African student, that African men were always students forever studying. So 
people were saying, oh, Will McCoy stands up. But yes, there were some African characters that we found offensive. Can I actually just add as well, Desmond's, the character there, do you know what I mean? Like kind of thing like, yeah, but then Yeah, but, yeah, but <laughs> this, this is the thing, and I don't want to get into this. As the only Caribbean in the group, I don't want to get into this us versus them shit. Because my thing is, there are stereo- negative stereotypes from all of us. Yeah. And I think yeah. we all need to get better at showing that. But you're right, people only complain when they feel offended by it personally. And you're absolutely right as well about stuff being normalised in terms of how um, a, a certainly American comedy is towards Africans and some British comedy as well, most definitely. Yeah. But that all goes, we can go down a long line about where that comes from. Yeah. Comes from <laughs> colonialism and slavery and segregation and all that shit. Early comments. So... Zell Sugar said, well said, Auntie Farah, it's a generalisation. And then Nigel Mark has just said, it feels lazy. And I think it's, it's in part because it wasn't done well. The quality of accents and authenticity is a big part of how well it hasn't been received. So, you know, fair point. So I think we'll see where they land. Hopefully they'll have a season four. Yeah. Okay. So has anybody seen Boris Johnson? Just, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> where he's is camping, where, somewhere? He's camping, Boris? Yeah. He's camping. Um, yeah. But apparently, <laughs> apparently oh, Boris has released a statement <laughs> urging all parents to send their children back to school and not keep them at home, and is really urging that it's really important that parents send their children back to school at the beginning of term. But I guess as me and Auntie Farah are the only ones with school age children what do we think is it fair to pressure parents to be sending kids back to school at this moment when in the news there is still lots of talk of the you know a second wave possibly happening should it just be the parents choice or should we be listening to Boris Boris doesn't know what he's doing from one minute to the other I am considering sending my daughter back to school but before I do so I do expect to be given a lot of information about how they're going to process people. I don't think it's fair for them to penalise parents who don't feel comfortable because I was reading up on this and um, in Scotland they sent the kids back to school already and there's been 23 cases already of outbreaks. So they don't know what they're doing. They're not saying that everyone has to wear a mask. That's not law yet for school because obviously, you know, after I think under 12, you don't have to Mm. wear a face mask. So, yeah, so you don't have to wear a face mask. And I, I, I just think that it should be how it was near the end of the summer term, when it was like, it's optional. We want, you know, we want you to take your kids back to school. If you don't feel comfortable because what's going on, then fair enough. Because let's not forget, there is a pandemic out there and they don't know what's going on. And I haven't been personally sent enough information for me to see what's what. From a work point of view, before anyone comes on site, they are given protocols that thick and they're told what they can do where they can go what they need to wear what they don't need to wear all of this stuff where sanitizers are this that and the other you're going to be tested i at this present time i don't have enough information but that's not to say that they won't be sending us that in the future what they've given us is they've said that times will be staggered and things like that i do feel like if i make the decision not to send my child back to school because of what's happening then i should be given that decision it should, it should be up to me. It shouldn't be up to Boris. Boris's kids, well, the one that he claims, allegedly, um, <laughs> his, kid, his kid is like a baby and is at home. And, can, and even, if the pan, even if his kid was older, they can afford private tutors and this, that and the other. It's not the same for most people 
who have to send their kids to school. I, I don't know. That was a long way of saying I'm not sure. I think I agree. I think like it should be the parents' choice. I don't really trust this government enough to, to make that decision for us, really. They just have a terrible track record. We need to kind of like wait until, I don't know, another year or so to see what the real impact of this is. Do you know what I mean? Um, there's been protocol in place. I know some kids that are thriving doing school from home. So I think it should be down. It should be down to the parents' choice, really. I don't think they should enforce that kids should stay at home, but it should be a choice whether they want to or not. As long as homeschooling is available in the school that your children goes to, or online schooling, I think, do you know what I mean? That, I think that's probably the best way to keep everybody safe. And also to, to, to manage everyone's anxiety as well, because by forcing this, you're heightening anxiety, to be honest. Like, I just don't, I just don't think it's a good idea. People are just going to panic. And then also as well, we're going into flu season. So... I just don't want any kids that I know to be the guinea pigs, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, I just don't want that. Like, we just don't know what we're really dealing with. So those that feel comfortable or those who maybe their families have had it already, maybe those are the ones that 100% can go back to school because there's a very low chance of them getting it again. Other than that, no, I don't trust it at all. My daughter doesn't have to go back to uni. She can do home study. I don't know when things will change when they have to go back actually physically into the university. But it just reminds me of when it all first happened and her uni were really aggressive with the fact that if they didn't go into uni, then they could potentially have to defer the year. And they put it on them like that. And that caused a lot of anxiety, anxiety in the house. And it's not just the child or the student that gets the, is upset, it's the parents, everyone, and if you've got to deal with work and all these other things, it's not good for anyone's well-being or mental health, especially when no one knows what this is going to look like. And especially, as you said, there's um, flu season coming up. It's going to be a shit show. So even if it's just flu that we're dealing with and everyone's going to be like, oh, I don't know if I've got COVID or I've got the flu, there's going to be panic and dramatics and all that type of stuff. Let's just see the year out. Let's just let us have 2020. <laughs> just leave us just to end 2020 the way we need to, in peace, with our heads intact as best we can. You know, let's all just sit around the Christmas tree and think, oh, fuck, let's hope for 2021. You know what I mean? With all this, without this extra added pressure. And the fact that numbers are coming up with little kids and it's just a lot. It should be optional. Shouldn't be getting fined or in trouble. Mm. And let's just start fresh in 21, man. I'll probably decide the day before, really, because I'm yeah. up and down. I'm always like, oh, maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe not. It will be on the um, uniform shop because... If there's a really long queue for the uniform, then I may not get their uniform. I'm like really leaving it onto the uniform shop. If they have all of their sizes, that will probably sway me. It would have been nice to have had the option of the online system to still be there or maybe a half day rotation for parents that are able to do that. Like just some consultancy, like how are you, how are you actually feeling? Do you want your child to go back full time? And similarly, all we have had is that they're going to have staggered times going in um, and they're not really going to have a playtime and their lunches. They're going to really be in a set kind of two classroom space. That's all we've been told. And that doesn't sound much fun. So I'm thinking maybe probably be better if they were home anyway, because mm. then at least they've got the garden and each other. But then my borough does do the fines and we have been fined before. So again, I have to find out about that fining system. It's Newham. So obviously after holidays with a large Bangladeshi and Pakistani community, they 
will have long holidays and so there was a real spate of kids not being there in the first week after each holiday so they they will find you some schools threaten you but Newham actually will find you 60 pounds like you will get that fine we do have a couple of messages Nigel Mark says inconsistent messages from the government has been the biggest problem throughout this whole thing and Kwame Darko Aubrey I feel so bad because I swear. It's a saying. (laughs) (laughs) So much confusion. How do they expect us to trust them, especially as we are hearing of small scale second lockdowns in other parts of the country? And that's exactly it. So, you know, let's see how this all pans out. So Meghan Markle was on Michelle Obama's When We All Vote. And she was talking about it's an honor, we should be honoured to vote. Um, and we vote for who came before us and we vote to protect those who come after us. And if you aren't voting, you're complacent. And if you're complacent, you're compliant. That's what she said. She hasn't come out and endorsed any one particular party. She has just said, talked about the importance of voting. So <laughs> since doing so, she has faced major backlash from several British uh, journalists and um, who've called for her titles to be stripped and have said that it's outrageous. It goes against all um, pro- royal protocols to be discussing politics and to be choosing sides. Have you ladies heard about this and what are your thoughts? I was just down the usual Twitter rabbit hole seeing people's comments and I just think people are really stupid. Do you really, really think people are just actually stupid? Do you know what? I think we've spoken about it before. The way that people think they know Meghan's mind and that she's brainwashed Harry into marrying her and she's an attention whore and it's just literally, she's doing this because she wants attention. The same stripper of her title, but she got the title because she's married to Harry. So even if you strip, her, strip the Duchess away, she'll still be a princess. So what do you want to call a Duchess or princess? Pick one. Because whatever the case is, she's still going to be a royal, even if they don't actively use their royal titles in business and stuff like that. I mean, I think even Piers Morgan said something as well. It's like all these yeah, clout, chas- clout chasing presenters and journalists from the UK. It's just so dumb. But what was really enjoyable watching the Twitter rabbit hole was this, um, the Americans have really got so much to say and they were clapping back at British people so much and telling them about their history and saying, well, look, Lizzie's does this and then, you know, the Royal Family's Association with Hitler and all that type of stuff and, and Queen Elizabeth getting involved in Brexit, whatever the case is. And, and what they call the spider letters that Prince Charles was involved with that they've been revealed in 2015, they revealed all these letters where he was sending letters to people and in politics, basically getting involved in politics based on all these letters. So all this stuff that's gone on, they they can't remove it from politics. They are involved in politics, maybe not outwardly. And it's just all numb. And I just think it's just a nonsense. I I just think that no matter what Meghan does, she's going to get negative. Do you know what I mean? Like They're always going to spin it some way. It's just unfortunate, really, because the British part of me is just quite embarrassed. Do you know what I mean? Like, just a bit embarrassed. Like, this is this is what we do, like, as a country. Like, the media just revels in trying to tear someone down. And it's just a bit like, oh, God, is that... Stop, you're embarrassing us. We're not as bad as the US at the moment, but it's not good. <laughs> it's just not good. We're not far behind, I think. Um, so, yeah, I just... I don't know. I'm a, I'm a bit bored of the whole, you know, tear down Megan bandwagon thing. It's just, it's just boring. Yeah, I mean, I expect her to get slated. It doesn't matter what she did. I think she probably would have got it if she said nothing. There'd be somebody saying, why is she not talking about it? Like, mm. there's 
she's she's damned either way and that's the role she's kind of stepped into with this family I think there's no way around it as much as they can kind of try and carve out their own life I think the British press will hound her and especially Piers has a bee in his bonnet because he says that him and Megan had some kind of like she she basically like blanked him and so he's in his feelings I expect him to say some shit and he also likes trolling black people because he knows that that gets him a a great digital footprint Mm. so again he'll always comment on black stuff because he has people coming at him and that's good that we we remember his name because of that after he left the mirror, he was washed up until he started chatting shit about everybody and then became mm. relevant. And so he also needs to remember that, that black people made him relevant. And we can all start ignoring him so that he goes back to irrelevancy. Auntie Shade, finish what you were saying about Dan Watson. Um, yeah, I think he is the most vile. He's like <laughs> the king of vile journalists. Like, he's always got something to say. It's just always negative. It's always kind of, like, dripping in racism and prejudice and all that nasty stuff. He's, like, a very... I just think, like, if he's speaking on something, you know it's disgusting. Like, do you know what I mean? You know it's just sewer, you know? So, like, that is just an indication of, like, no, you shouldn't be thinking like this. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, whatever he says, especially about Megan, like, just no. It's not, it's probably not true. And he's, you know, trying to make you racist or something. Megan could sit in the house and just be a hermit for the rest of her life. (laughs) And someone would have something to say. The woman has left the country with her husband and her child because people don't stop talking about her. She's gone Mm. back to her, her native country and she's talking about voting, which should be promoted. She's telling people to go out and use your right to vote and they're coming for her. It's just like she, there's nothing that she can do, but yet for all, Prince Andrew can do whatever. Well, exactly. Well, and it's fine. You know, the, Dan Wooten and all those other people in the press should be focusing on that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be focusing about what's happening across the pond and whether or not Megan went on live and didn't endorse a particular party and just told a bunch of women that they should probably vote. They should be looking at the bunch of women that are accusing Prince Andrew of molesting them. Someone on Twitter said that Meghan's keeping her son away from his cousins and that's devastating to the world family. I'm like, what do you know? How do you know based on, her they... vote, based on a video of her talking about people voting? You got into the whole family business. That <laughs> her cousins are now distressed. It's so distressing for the Windsors. That, like, come on. Like they go for barbecues or go around to Granny's house every Sunday and she makes them a roast. Like, get a grip. Witness. They and yet... don't even see each other. Exactly. And, it's, and it is the hypocrisy that no one's... Obviously, people are talking about Andrew, but it's indirect. And people are trying to say, we can walk and talk at the same time. We can find Andrew's behaviour deplorable and still talk about Meghan's attention-seeking. I'm like, just please don't try and equate the two. Please do not, you dare, try and equate the two as equal things to be outraged about. So mine is uh, just a mishmash of just, just a bit of disappointment in the way, as usual, black women's pain and stories and truths are kind of overlooked until possibly someone else, like a white woman or someone else, um, speaks up, or when a man speaks up about something. So in, uh, on her Instagram live this week or last week, Megan the Stallion finally spoke out and said that it was Tory Lanez who shot her in the foot. And she said, you know, she didn't want to talk up because why should she? But because of all the misinformation going around and then she actually said it was partly because of Tory Lanez's um, 
PR people and publicists that there's lots of misinformation. So she felt she had to speak up. So she did clarify that it was Tory who shot in the foot. And she even spoke up at the fact that because of the situation they were in, they were, they were surrounded by police. She didn't tell anybody that it was Tory because she was scared also on top of it that being in this Black Lives Matter moment, that it could go left if she was to tell the police that there was a gun in the car. So she was actually protecting Tory before she even spoke up. So there's that. And it just had people reflecting on how black women are so doubted and disbelieved when they talk about things. And it made everyone to come and speak about when Kiki Palmer back in 2017 was on The Breakfast Club and spoke about a really mad situation where she was at Trey Songz's house and felt very intimidated where her phone was taken away from her and footage was used in one of his videos without her consent. And people doubted her, laughed at her, and he brushed it off and said it wasn't, that wasn't the case. People, I think, said she was high and all this type of stuff, discounted her story. But then recently, um, an Instagram model, in quotes, Selena Thomas, I think her name is, she's a white girl or maybe Latina, and her friend were on this show and were speaking wildly about the stuff that they've been getting up to. But it also included the fact that Selena's friend, she said that Trey Songs weed on her during sexual acts and also took her phone and stopped her from leaving um, the place, the premises that they were in and made her have lots of sex with her. I think she's about 20 or something like that. And so it was, and then people started to say that when a white woman speaks up, then everyone believes, because now everyone's now saying, accusing Trey Songz of being a bit of a second rate R. Kelly. So I guess it's just in, I don't know if you guys heard the story, I guess it's your reactions to hearing that about Megan Thee Stallion, about Kiki Palmer, about these young girls and about this um, narrative that black women aren't really believed when they talk about things. Meg Thee Stallion, I absolutely understand why she was quiet for as long as she was, especially like in her position of healing and really feeling like, you know, but all of us as citizens, your taxes are paying for the police. And if you've been shot and you're too scared to actually, while the police are there, say, this is what's happened to me, or that there's a weapon here for fear that the police are going to come and they may just kill all of you. Mm -hmm. I think that screams volumes for the state of policing in America at this moment. So aside from Tory Lanez's, it's two issues that she brought to attention. That whole thing of protecting a black man, I think it comes along with being a black woman. You generally will put your welfare will go secondary to his welfare. And the trolling that she received from his team putting out the story that she put hands on him. All of that came from a camp saying she was the aggressor and he was defending himself because he is a little man and she is quite a tall woman. That's just disgusting. Her pointing out that she had actually left the vehicle and was walking home. His ego was just bruised for whatever reason, but the dude needs to do hard time. Um, and then Kiki Palmer, I, I actually watched that Breakfast Club um, the story that she said and what has come out with the models, I don't see how they mesh well together. So I didn't really get how people were like, people needed to believe Kiki because in, she didn't paint him like a sexual deviant to me when I was listening to her. I felt that he was a shady fucker, but not necessarily sexual. So I wouldn't have jumped to that conclusion. But overall... Um, Trayson's just makes me feel icky anyway, just in how he is. So I wasn't surprised in any way, shape or form. And again, hopefully he's having his 2020 reckoning and all of you dodgy guys out there, I think you just, I don't, you have to take stock, like your reckoning is going to happen. So I'm not too sure on that one, how they correlate. I think she was listened to 
at that moment. I didn't feel that that was ignored, personally. Trey Songz, let's talk about him first. So, it's so funny that you said that, Auntie Nana, because for some reason, Trey Songz has never sat well with me. I don't know why. And the other day, a song came on, and I was like, is that R. Kelly? And then I realised it was Trey Songz. And I was like, hmm. I don't know if he was trying to sing like R. Kelly, or maybe if R. Kelly produced it, but I was like, no, no I'm, I, I'm not here for that song. I didn't really hear about the Kiki Palmer story, to be honest with you. The Meg The Stallion one, it's about us feeling that we must protect the black man at all costs. And also about the fact that she thought that if she said there's a gun, they would shoot up the whole, the whole car. It's hard to believe a story when you don't know all of the facts. So I tried not to feel one way or another about it because I didn't know all of the facts. At the same time, I will say that it's sad that she's had to come out at this moment in time because she's been getting trolled so much online and she's had to come out and say what she's had to say. It seems like Tory's people are doing their best to make him the victim by using stupid things like, oh, he's a short man, she's a tall woman. So what, you've got a gun blood. Gun trumps height. So yeah, it's, it's just all very sad and I hope that she's getting the support that she needs. I agree, Tory needs to do jail time. Why would you shoot somebody? He could have killed her. He could have yeah. burst an artery. She could have died. So he needs to do jail time for that. So I think with, with the whole Megan Tory situation, I get why she hasn't said anything. I think I agree. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I do understand it. And I think that we, in general, black women are conditioned to protect, yeah, like you said, Auntie Clara, protect black men at all costs. It's in almost everything that we do. So there's that. So I do get it, but I just... Not that she's trying to be a role model or anything like that, but I don't think it necessarily sets a good example. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that it's a good idea to be shot by someone, not say something because you want to protect them, then go on live and then say something. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I just don't agree with that, that kind of method. But obviously, you know, we live in this social media age. It's so easy and all, blah, blah, and all this kind of stuff because it can potentially invalidate your story. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or validate your version of events and stuff and everything like that. But at the same time, it's just so difficult because if you go to the police, are they going to charge you too? In that moment, I under- fully understand why she didn't mention to the police because she could have got shot herself. Her friend could have got shot. Everybody in the... Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If there was a whiff that Kylie Jenner's purse was left in there everyone would have got shot do you know what I mean like seriously you know because people were just like oh he would have got arrested no he would be he he'll be dead no doubt about it it just kind of goes to show that we have this shared understanding that why she's done what she's done because there is no justice for us there just isn't and we've seen that time and time again you know we see it with Brianna Taylor like we mention her every single week there's still no justice there do you know what I mean like I feel her pain <laughs> in that sense like you know because there's a high chance that she won't get justice even now that she's named him there's still a chance that she won't get it you know I saw one thing where someone said that uh, that black men are the white people of black people do you know what I mean and I was just like <laughs> Damn right. (laughs) Because he will get treated like, you know, he was probably having a bad day. He didn't mean it. He's so sorry. He's going to donate to this charity. And he's, do you know what I mean? People will protect him that he's not necessarily going to do any time for this. But, you know, it's early days. We'll see. The lack of people speaking out, the lack of black men speaking out. It was only until she said something. Then you see Chance coming out. You see um, Mario coming out. There's a few others as well, all saying their piece. But where were you in the beginning? Like, I want to hear about the conversations 
conversations that you know people are having with his team do you know what I mean like when it comes to Kiki I think Kiki kind of had a I told you so moment to be honest do you know what I mean? And I'm a true believer in this. It's like, you know, someone might do you wrong and I've told you they've done you wrong, but you might not believe me now, but you're going to believe me. <laughs> like, <laughs> in a time, you're going to see it for yourself. Like, I truly believe that, you know. So I think she just sat on it. She shouldn't have had to go through what she went through. It seems like it was a true violation, you know, especially not getting consent to use her image. I do feel like there was something that, <laughs> Jaguar Wright said the other day black women it's almost like sometimes in the entertainment industry at least it's like property they're just not seen as something that could be potentially disposable or, and that's sort of replaceable in that kind of sense and it's uh, disheartening and the fact is the, you know the lighter or whiter you are there's more of a value placed on that this is what's reinforced to us time and time again and I, I do think the other girl Selena Thomas the popularity of it is the sensationalization of it do you know what yeah. I mean because she's talking about some mad stuff Wild. in a very 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 nonchalant way yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. this nigga did this. Da, da. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was nothing. Yeah, I don't call him no more. Like, yeah, he done this. And, you know, it was just like, are you so disconnected with yourself? You're so disconnected with your body, like, that you're allowed, do you know what I mean? Not even allowing it to happen, but she came across very numb. Yes. She just came across very, very numb. And I, I, I kind of worried for her in that sense, as I would worry for anybody. But I do think that if she didn't look that way, probably might not have gone, do you know what I mean, kind of thing. I, but I think there's a fetishization of that as well. And I don't think it's always like, oh, God, you're so beautiful and delicate. No, it's, it's almost like there's a trophyism as well kind of thing, which is, you know, it's not good either. Exactly. <laughs> it's just not good either. So um, it's kind of like a shitty week to be a black woman. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Too many, like, negative stories this week, to be honest. I was just going to mention all these men that have come out and accused Megan of being a snitch. They need to get lost. Oh, oh yeah. And yeah. that's all I was saying. Oh, yeah. like so yeah. that, that was what I was going to come and say. One, calling her a snitch. And then I think there was another rapper, some little boozy baby, whatever the name was. <laughs> he said something like, well, she's not a snitch because she's not from the road. It's like, is this the level that we're dealing with now? Because she's not from the road, then she can't be called a snitch. Why is that even the quantifying the case? Someone shot her. She has every right to say who's frick shot her whether she's in a gang or not oh, yes okay i understand the code of the streets however come on this shouldn't even be a conversation calling her a damn snitch i saw so much twitter people think yeah she's a snitch she should know oh come on get out of it mm. and I, I was also going to say that um this thing about black men being the <laughs> the white Can i say it like, i love that precisely i thought it was a very good sentence Black men are the white people of black people. So, when, again, when we were in a Facebook group that uh, back in the day, Nan, Auntie Nana, that came up. Some, and I remember we having this debate a few times and it being shut down so much. Black men were like, we're systematically oppressed. The white people hate us the most. That might be the case in wider society. But within our community, your troubles get taken out on black women. So that is why that narrative sticks and fits. And you can argue, yes, black women do some heinous stuff too. But when you talk, when we're all under this patriarchal system where the man at the top, and especially in black cultures, man is always sitting at the top of the table, head of the table, gets a big piece of chicken. We uphold <laughs> those values. So that is still reason why what man says goes in our communities too. So that is why you guys are called the white men of the black community. So that it is something like that. And um, I was going to say something about the Selena girl. When her, her and her friend have all these receipts on black men, celebrities as Akon, Trey Song, Snoop. And as you said, Charlotte, there's a fetishization of your white Latina or exotic or whatever. 
But it's just, it was so disappointing to see, like obviously, you know, men cheat, there was all this narrative that we let go into the system, into the ether, men cheat, that's what's been normalized. But all these grown men, celebrities have done, supposed to be doing so much and upholding our community and they're supposed to be get the big piece of chicken, but yet you're going to sleep with a little young girl because of what? And then she has the receipts on you and then she can sit on a show and expose you. Then you're going to call her a thot and a whore and all that type of stuff. But yet you lay down in bed with her. What the fuck does that make you? But yet we're supposed to uphold you and back you to the point where someone gets shot in their foot and she's double thinking whether she should speak up. It makes me sad, actually. It makes me angry and sad that this is where we're at, that this is the level. Big man, Akon, Snoop, you've got millions or whatever. You've got a whole families, you've got kids, sons, daughters. And this is what you're doing, laying down with a little 20 year old who's going to then expose you like you're trash. And then you're going to call her trash and stuff like that. And, I, and yeah, and I also was worried for those girls because one of them was saying, you know, she went through the basketball team and she was like very nonchalant and disconnected. She's like, yeah, you know, I was Stephen, I did that and I gave them all head and all that. It was just a weird conversation, but these are the girls that are black men that we're supposed to uphold and defend. So anyway, <sighs> any comments? We, we have a comment from Kwame saying, I agree that black men are definitely part of the problem in the oppression of black women. And just to add, you said a really poignant point. Um, I've been binge watching Drink Champs. I flipping love that shit. As I've been watching so many of them, it is like, you know what? The music business is the cesspool, it's hell. Mm-hmm. And the way they speak about the women that surround them and the accessibility to some shit that they can just act out their fantasies. I don't think I've watched an episode yet where somebody hasn't touched on this kind of thing that they've done in their youth. And you think it wasn't when you first started, you're probably <laughs> still doing it now. Like, yeah. but mm. just, that accessibility to bodies and the number of bodies and it's just like oh my god this place is hell and I can imagine as a woman it really made me think of artists like Cardi B who get married very quickly or have a long-term boyfriend like Nicki Minaj so you may not even be in the best situation but that proximity to a man you will keep them there to kind of keep yourself safe yeah. And it's like, yeah, I can see how that happens very quickly. Um, like um, Sweetie getting with Quavo. Like, you mm-hmm. know, she's very young. They're a young couple, but you see how you just kind of stick to somebody so that you're off the market, mm-hmm. so that you are not then prey to be ran through as well. And it's just like, I think if you don't get that person very quickly, I can see how they can destroy you. But again, sometimes it is a bit like the nonchalantness of the women oh it breaks my heart just how their bodies become like nothing it's like you just you've kind of disassociated your authority your standpoint your femininity and you're allowing that to be used also similarly it triggered a thought in me that black men to think about how they also get really used by white women exactly and your vital years can just be stripped from you because there is such accessibility to pum pum but actually that's your vitality and you'll get ran through and they'll marry brad and then you're expecting somebody to take you on but you're actually your essence has been lost as well and just think of that black men just think about how you're still being used as livestock any comments we have an agreement on a point that you made by Kwame says yes i totally agree auntie ak and then uh queer has said a queer for 
has said, <laughs> everybody famous is part of the machine. They are not there to uphold humanity. They are there to make you feel like your life is shit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> At some points. <laughs> Kwame has just written, we really need to step up as black men. It's embarrassing. We really need to take responsibility, especially in music. Growing up as a hip hop fan, my whole perception of women was molded by the lyrics I embraced from some of my fave artists. And yeah, it's good that that came from a man because yeah. I say this a lot, but I think it's important that men have their voice heard as well. Whew, I feel a bit saddened from that, but anyway. Hey, I'm Auntie Nana. You're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. Now it's time for aunties to fix your life with Aunties Know Best. We're going to get there with our jingles, you know. Anyone out there that can make a jingle, make us some jingles, man. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to get... Okay. Is that Noriega? Are you trying to see Noriega? <laughs> it actually was trying to... You see how great I am? I just... Naturally invoked Oriega. No, you know, you know, you know, you know that Auntie Sade said trying, yeah. <laughs> trying, doing. It's all one and the same. Who's got a dilemma? Who wants? Can to I see my my internet's one? The post reads, "Ladies, I need help. Mm-hmm. I got married in June, and I have an eight-year-old daughter. My daughter spends the summer with her grandparents." She recently returned home for the new school year. However, her stepdad is all about discipline and structure. I understand it's needed, but I feel at this time, his focus should be more on connection than correction. For instance, he believes that she should only have electronics on the weekends and not when using them outside of school. I'm like, no, she's a good kid, an only child, and she's used to having them. So today, he was on at her about cleaning up after herself. I totally agree, this is something that she needs to do. However, after dinner, she was in her room and didn't immediately throw her plate away and he took her phone and computer. She tries to go tell him that she would be better, etc. She comes to the room where I am and she's crying, saying she was told that when I go to the store on errands, she wouldn't be able to go. Now, I am pissed at this point. My daughter is a very sweet, sensitive, and a loner who makes good grades. I feel he's coming down too hard on her. He told me that he will give her the devices back on Monday. And she's like, I'm on punishment. Sorry for the long post, but how should I feel and handle this? All advice welcome. He has one child that lives in Jamaica. Oh, okay. I've got to talk. That last bit did it for me. I grew up with a stepdad, right? And because of how that relationship was, I am very aware that I'm not having certain shit from no man that comes into my situation with my child. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to discipline them in a certain way, but he's doing things without consultation. He's making decisions without chatting to the mum first, and they, it should be a, it should be a thing of they both do sit down with the daughter and say, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be your punishment. You ain't minding your own child. Don't come and try to mind mine and undermine this, what I have built with my child. Don't come and try to do that. It's disrespectful. When you mind your child and you, you are there for your child, then you've got a leg to stand on. 
you don't know how to parent. Don't try and come and dismantle the parenting that I have done with my child, who is an eight-year-old, who is good, who has manners, and all of those things that you said. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be a part of the whole raising her. He should, because it's important to form that relationship. But what she said is right. He should be working on bonding with that child rather than just disciplining that child, because that is going to set up the rest of the relationship for the rest of their life. Yeah? And the mum shouldn't feel like she can't say something. What the situation that she's in now is, she feels like she can't say something because he said it without her. And then that would be contradicting what he said. And that is confusing. Even if that is your kid's parent, it's confusing if you contradict one another. But as a step-parent, he should be consulting the mother and they should be making these decisions together. Yeah, like I totally agree. I had a stepmother growing up and my dad really took a laid-back approach and let her do the discipline. And for me, that was not a good situation at all. And, like, that's basically shaped me as a person. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think that's for the better, to be honest. To be 100%. Honest. Um, the thing is, it's difficult because especially if this is... A, I'm going to work with a few generalisations, but if this is an American person um, that's writing this... I tend to feel like with Americans, definitely within the household, it's like whatever the man says goes. You know, you see people when they do those posts like, who is it, um, your wife, your kid, your parent or something in the order. And loads of black American women are putting like their husband first over their kids. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I'm just like, "Mm, I can see why this could be difficult. But I think sometimes with us, it's more about the kids come first. I think that's a bit more naturalised over here. The kids come first and then husband second. And I think that is for the mother to basically just override him, even if it is confusing. At the end of the day, you need to get those electronics back, explain to your daughter that you're getting these back because I'm your mother. We're going to discuss this. I'm going to discuss this with my husband or whatever, do you know what I mean, kind of thing. And we're going to sort this out. She has to show to her daughter that what she says goes. Do you know what I mean? That's what she needs to establish, Mm -hmm. first of all, that no one can come in and override what she's saying. That the only reason why he's allowed to discipline her is because the mother is given the consent for that to happen. Do you know what I mean? Not beforehand. And you have to nip that situation in the bud immediately. Don't wait for that to fester because then what you're, if you don't, what you're telling your daughter is that, oh, if anyone can come in with some sort of authority, they can tell me what to do. And actually, my mother doesn't have a say in this. Like, other people have agency over my person. Do you know what I mean? And that's a recipe for disaster, I think. I think, like, she obviously needs to talk to her husband, especially when the kids are involved and when you're, you know, having a reconstituted family and that sort of thing. You have to have these these conversations beforehand. You really, you really, really do. Like, you need to be on the same page when it comes to discipline because that shapes, especially with young children, that's shaping them. That's guiding them on who they're going to be tomorrow. So, like... He shouldn't be holding electronics. In this day and age, yeah, it was a problem with my child, yeah? Why you're not telling me before you're saying anything to her anyway is I, I just don't understand. You, you can't send me a text, a message, a phone call, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Can we not deal with this when we get hurt? Like, I couldn't imagine someone making that kind of decision without me being present or without me being part of that conversation. Like, honestly, who do you think you are? But to be fair, like, you, I feel like you need to get to that understanding beforehand anyway and like you might have made a mistake you know cool but then from now you need to set those boundaries and make him know that that can't ever happen again we're at least going to have a conversation first and because it's my child I have the last word really and truly like there's no way you could ever override that ever 
100%. It does hark back to this whole thing about men being placed in such high regard in our um, family structures that it seems like she's, I mean, I mean I'm making big assumptions here that she, like Auntie Shadow said, she didn't have that conversation first. She didn't set the, the, set the narrative from before. And I think a lot of women are more grateful in having a man and someone to fill that space, especially if they're single parents who are feeling any type of way about not having a man in the home to shape their child's future because they feel that the, the home's broken if they don't have a man in, the, in that space, that maybe she's conceded asking all those well-important questions in order to present this unified family front that people find acceptable or necessary to be considered proper parent and stuff like that. So it's definitely about having those early conversations, setting the boundaries, and your child needs to know that your mum has, or the, their mum or the parent, that's their natural parent, has their back 100%. Because at first, before, as you were saying it, I was going to talk about devices, electronics, and all that type of stuff, and punishment, and I'm not averse to, in the school week, let's minimise devices let's yeah. let the weekend be for the weekend and for fun things and let's i definitely know that during you know my daughter was born in 2000 so it was a bit different just before the electronics boom so i was a bit like no you're not watching tv and if it is tv it's like an hour when we watch it we're having dinner then you're not having any tv till the weekend i instilled those type of things so i don't see anything wrong in trying to find some way to control device use and stuff like that especially in this oversaturated time however it's not his decision to make like that it's a conversation between the parents they got to understand each other be on the same page and then even if he is the one to issue the discipline, it's something that he's agreed upon with the child's natural parent. You know what I'm saying? That's all it needs to be. There has to be some sort of um, communication between the adults before it gets trickled down to the child. So in reading it, I agree with everything you said, but quite a few alarm bells started going off in my head. One of the biggest ones was you're not going to the store with the mother and his focus on discipline. To me, if I was with another man and this was a system that he was kind of adopting, I would really never leave my child with him. Yes. <laughs> I just felt like that's like, nah. I just an occupation with disciplining somebody else's child. I feel that's very suspect. And that triggered a lot for me and you're not allowed to go with your mum. That harsh discipline, it just felt like those are some sexual abuse signs yes. to me like alarm bells were going off like why why do you want to have the daughter at home alone with you and definitely those conversations from jump your discipline in this secondary to me like I feel like as a step parent it should always be as backup to what I've set down unless you then have cultivated a relationship where you are seen as parent to the child as well like the child is like this is my dad so then she's consented because really it is consent. You can't just come along and be like, I have to discipline this child or they must respect me. It's, it's not how relationship goes. It, it literally is an act of consent that a child is allowing you to discipline them or it's going to be hell. And everybody involved has to set the tempo of how this is going to go. And I was like, for a new marriage, I'd be ready to, like, we have to go into counselling. And I'm definitely not leaving my child with this man alone because he's giving me signals of something else inappropriate going going on. And I'd probably start digging. Like, it would just take me down the rabbit hole of, what's this guy been up to before? And am I being had? Like, I would be thinking that. And reading it, I was a bit like, I think you've met one of those nonces who's after you because you have a loner child. 
who's quiet and it's an only child. I was like, nah, too many, too many signals for me in that. It's so funny that you said that because as you were reading it, I also had that thought, but I didn't want to revisit it because I thought I, it didn't go down that lane. Because I felt, and I, was, I suppose what I was going to say is that how do you ever tell like this person that you're going to be with? Because they're not going to display the tendencies and how do you pick up on those signs that something could manifest after the, the rings on the finger or... I didn't get sexual abuse. I got physical abuse. Mm. That's, what I, that's what I got from that, that he would try and beat that kid. And these are conversations that you do need to have early. And I feel like whoever I'm with will know that just from the way that I am. And will know that from talking to me about what's happened to me in my life. You will know that if you touch my kid, I will kill you. Mm. Yeah. Straight. She hasn't mentioned, but like her actual dad. There's a thing that I think is kind of interesting where not all, but some mothers, they'll, they'll get married and then that becomes the child's stepdad. But if her dad is actually present, then that's not your stepdad. That's your, your mum's partner. Do you right. know what I mean? Because your dad is actually present. Mm. So that's another dynamic that you have to understand of what's her dad comfortable with. But if they are present, then you have to take into consideration their views on what discipline is going to be allowed in the household and from a, another man. Like, you can't just assume that they'll be okay with that, you know? That's often not considered. Any comments, Auntie Nana? So we have, um, Aquia has said that he's right in regard to the electronics and um, they as a couple need to sort out their relationship about discipline before he is allowed to discipline the daughter. Marsha Douglas says the same, should have discussed this before they became serious. The principle of what the stepdad is trying to install is probably sensible, but it's how he is handling things. As it sounds, he is a bit controlling. A bit? <laughs> yeah, it's the execution. It's all yeah. about his execution. I've got no problems with what he says in general. It's just the execution. Mum's word is law. That's it. Dear aunties, I've got a little bit of a problem at work and I don't know how to deal with it. I'm starting to notice that my colleagues and even my boss are getting into this routine of sending around memes and gifts that feature predominantly black people. It could be to say yes, uh, whatever, all the kind of popular memes, but they just predominantly seem to be black people. And I feel a little bit uncomfortable. I kind of did some research and found that there's a, thing, a term called digital blackface. And this is kind of what I feel like I'm experiencing at work. But obviously, I don't want to be the colleague that is insensitive or the sensitive black colleague, but I just feel some type of way. Have you guys experienced this? And what would you do or what would you advise me to do in a way to address it? Because I do feel uncomfortable. And basically, she said they never um, seem to send around any of the memes or gifts of white people. So it's a bit weird. HR, really? <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, if you have any sort of racialized work issue, the first step is HR. Like, find out, like, first of all, if they're aware of this term. Do you know what I mean? I think the good thing about HR is that if you have a conversation, I think it can be logged. Do you know what I mean? So even if there's no outcome in the beginning that you've had an official conversation about this, you know, some things you would be encouraged to kind of like, you know, have a conversation with someone about it. But I think, and I'm just assuming here, that it could be easily defended. Have a conversation with HR, see what they say. They might suggest that you have a conversation with them or have a, like a f facilitation conversation and just like make sure it's logged. But like, I do, I do, get, yeah, I kind of get that. I, it can be annoying at times because you don't, how can I explain it? Like when you see people that don't speak like that 
in real life. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't act like that in real life at all, but on, online, that's weird. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> but at the same time, some people just enjoy, I don't know, I don't know to defend them, but they just enjoy the culture, I think. But it's weird. I was going to say, it makes me want to do two things. So it makes me want to, first, get all the white stereotypes and send it to the group and see how they react and say, oh my God, look at that white person. Oh, it's so funny. And see what they say. It makes me want to do that also makes you want to go to HR and then it also makes you want to just call them out and say to them, that's inappropriate. Cause realistically, if I'm at work and someone's doing something like that, the adult in me would call them out and would just say, this is inappropriate. What are you doing? Why are you sending that? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? I would call them out. And if it continued, I think I would then speak to HR and just say, look, look at my phone. This is what they're sending. It's not appropriate. I've tried to speak to them about it. They're not listening to me. I think it needs to come from somebody else so that they understand what's going on. I think a good way to counter this culture because it's all digital is to screenshot it and out them online. Like I remember somebody, could have been at the beginning of 2020, and somebody had said something racist in a group and the group chat got leaked and that all went around the internet and then they lost their job. Oh, yeah. There's other ways now, just like take screenshots and leak it. So extreme. <laughs> All I have to add. <laughs> I was, I was going to say that in my interpretation of the letter, though, of the email, it was more that it wasn't necessarily racist acts. It was more like, you know, in amongst us, as all black women, we might send round memes to capitalise on a point, to bust joke or something like that. But I think because black culture dominates and we are so memeable in our phrases, we might have a, a gay guy snapping or something like that, those popular memes... I think that's what she's saying is that they're repeatedly used and it just makes her feel uncomfortable because it's always black memed moves and never like say you got the Leonardo DiCaprio holding a champagne glass it's instead of drawing for some white memes it's always black ones as a way of maybe enforcing their call and that's kind of how I interpret it rather than it being like straight out racist poking yeah, out yeah. yeah I read that yeah okay I that. I was, I was, but yeah. I just see I just think that and that's why I think it's easy to defend. Yeah. Because you could just yeah. easily say, oh, it's popular. Oh, you know, everyone sends it. I didn't realize, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like all that kind of stuff. Because also as well, your HR department might not even know what digital blackface is. Do you know what I mean? So you're flagging it to them to say like, look, this is an issue and you need to have some sort of policy conversation or something around this do you know what I mean that people need to be aware because sometimes you have to educate them as well unfortunately that's, that's how it is oh, any comments auntie nana Kwame says call them out he didn't say it like that but I'm saying it like that that was auntie's no best if you have a dilemma please send them to dilemmas dot your aunties could never at gmail.com hey I'm auntie Farah and you're listening to your aunties could never and now we're about to take you guys back with Black in the Day. Okay, right. So my Black in the Day is for you guys to take your mind back and think about your first home. What was it like? What do you remember? How is it different to where you live now? Do you mean your first home that you moved into as a... Your uh, first home your as a child. Home. Okay. Mm-hmm. My first home that I remember, I used to live in Edgeswood Estate, in like Latimer Shepherd's Bush, um, we used to live on the sixth floor and it was like a massive flat actually, like all the rooms were really, really big. And I loved that flat and I still, to this day, when I drive past it, 
I still have um, really fond memories of it. It was just, I had a massive room. Like I had a room that as adults, you don't get, it's not, my room now is not even as big as the room that I had when I was no. then. It, 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 yeah, it was just great. Like I remember I had a double bed and, and then I think why I loved it so much is because when I moved, we moved into a nicer house, I suppose, because it was a house and not a flat. But my room, you know, when you open the door and you've got that space where the door is, as far as the door can open, that's all I had. So I had like a single bed and I had the space where the door opened and I had about that, about 10 centimetres between the bed and the wardrobes. So that was a massive shock to me. But I just, I just loved our first time. It was really nice. As I said, it was, it was massive. Had a good view. It, I remember when it was cold and, and, and windy, the block used to shake. <laughs> and it was the days before central heating so we had to have those electric heaters in all the rooms but it was just yeah it was much different to where I am now but um I loved it I can't remember moving to our house from where I was born into King's Cross in the flat that we lived in there so I was probably about three three years old when we moved to Swiss Cottage so I don't really remember that move-in period but I have so many fond memories of like a, a civilized estate life, like literally because it wasn't high rise. There wasn't lots of crime. It got worse as I turned into a teenager, but generally I could play out in the front and go up and down because it's, there's no roads. It's um, iconically, some people may know of it. I lived um, in front of Rody Way. So it's used in a lot of, it, the bill used to film around there. It's like a concrete jungle. So you have like a runway in front of the house and you can play up and down around there. And I just have so many fun memories building camps, having so many friends because there's lots of other kids around and just feeling very safe until the 90s. Like so I was probably about probably 93, 94 and a real culture shift changed in the estate. So a lot of the boys that I grew up with, they're all teenagers and that was when you, you would, what was it, Lashatek? But yeah. they would just go out and, and, and steal bags. People would be robbing on the tubes. Shot in became a thing, but it was definitely called something else then when they were dealing. It's probably just called dealing. But yeah, it's like <laughs> the culture just changed from quite a, a normal estate where kids all played to it being a bit more dangerous and lots of the boys that I grew up with going into prison and it didn't feel so safe being on this estate anymore. But generally growing up, I loved, and to think it's Swiss Cottage, like in between Swiss Cottage and Kilburn. It's not really hood, but mm. you know, it, it became that. A road away from all of the million pound houses and down the road, we used to hassle Gary Lineker so much because he just lived off of Abbey Road. And once that became news, like Gary Lineker lives up the road, we would just ring his bell all the time outside <laughs> of his house. But I had lots of fun memories living off of Abbey Road. It was cool. My childhood home was uh, 66 Singleton Close. Uh, that, front, that picture there is the front room. That's me and my brother in the front room. I remember our velvet red curtains and our red carpet. It was like an upstairs, downstairs. And again, it wasn't a block, but it was, a block of, it was like an estate in, two, in Borderline, two in Junction, Collier's Wood. So just in that little middle bit. So, and I just, yeah, I remember being, it was near a bread factory. She's every so often you'd smell fresh bread. Um, I, love bread. I just remember it's just very typical 80s children's life and, you know, running around 
not coming home, well, had dead, obviously had to come home at a certain time, but you could be all the way up in to Injunction, up in the park, not knowing, your mum wouldn't know where the hell you were. You're just playing with your friends and just up and down, me and my brother and stuff like that. And I remember my dad had an orange Datsun, so when he was still in the home, yeah, I just remember washing his Datsun car. Um, but yeah, it was just, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I remember I had a small bedroom, bunk, but I don't know. It was just, yeah, cute house. And then we moved, I think when I was about 13 or so, and I moved to uh, Mitcham. And that house, that was again on the state, but they were townhouses, so really big. And I just remember having a garden and going, opening the back door onto a massive park. And I really loved that because it was just, it was like kind of slightly countryside and it was cute. And I say, I don't have any kind of anecdotes. It was just, yeah, my first home was into Injunction. It was all right. So I used to live in Henry Prince Estate in Wandsworth, Earthfield, which actually Sadiq Khan, I think, is from. Yeah, the mayor of London. I think that's where he's from too. You might know if you watched BBC, there's like an advert and it's like estate with like big arches and like usually dancers um, dancing in front. Yeah, so that that was my estate. Like we lived on the top floor. We lived on the third building in the top floor, and um, we weren't really allowed out that much as kids. So we used to play on the roof. So like where our house was. There was like this little lower, it's like that, if that makes sense. So mm. our windows were here and then you could jump onto the roof and there'll be buildings oh, here, yeah. like kind of thing. So we didn't know. I mean, it was like fearless kids, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? So we used to jump out and uh, play on the roof, like, you know, climb through the gutter and jump over. Oh, <laughs> play on wow. the roof. One time we locked one of my sisters out there. That was really oh. <laughs> <laughs> But we thought it was funny. It was cool that like, me and my two stepsisters, we shared a room and then my parents had a room and then the other room that we had was actually my dad's study as well kind of thing. So he had like his study in his prayer room and stuff. When we were allowed out, at the back of the estate was like the River Wandle. Um, and we could go berry picking and stuff. I remember blackberry picking, making jam. I didn't think we was ever going to leave that place. And I was so sad when we left because we moved from there. We moved to Brixton. And from there, we was like in a house. I had my own room then. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was quite large as well, actually. You know, like high, I think it was Victorian kind of thing, like high ceilings, all that kind of stuff and everything. Garden. And we was like the second house in. And I remember like, what was he talking about? Was it? No, maybe it was someone else. No, it was here. We was talking about snails. And I used to have my snail garden. Yes, yeah, so in the back garden, I used to collect snails. No. <laughs> save them. <laughs> and save them. Not like you guys, torturing them and kill them. <laughs> I would save them and play about and stuff. <laughs> I do remember that because, distinctly because we was near the train line and we had a basketball court and train line. And like, at night, I could, would count the trains and that oh. would kind of like send me off to sleep and stuff. Kind of thing. So it was quite peaceful. I think one time I even went to go and I wanted to actually go inside, <laughs> but I went to go visit. Do you know what I mean? Like, because there's just so many memories there and stuff. Like, just go and see. My mum's um, best friend lived on that estate. So oh, I'm, really? Yeah, yeah. So we used to go to that estate. And yeah, yeah. I, I like that estate. It was cool. Yeah, it was cool. I remember going back to Singleton Close or that area when I think um, someone, it was like my, I had a stepsister. So they're the mum of my stepsister's family. She had a mm-hmm. birthday party. No, they did a surprise party for my former stepsister. That's it. So going down there and just, it's just so mad going back to an area that was your world and it, look, it looking so tiny. Mm. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, 
it's just walking around and how seeing how it's changed and remembering the long road that I used to walk to get the bus to school was like not as long as I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting that whole world, how those little areas become your universe. And then when you go back to them, they're just just a street. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Okay. So Hey, I'm Auntie Shade. You're listening to your aunties could never. It's almost time to wrap up. Before we do, aunties, what's made you sad, mad, or glad? Um, I am sad that this weather doesn't know what it wants to do. <laughs> I am glad for the pockets of sunshine. <laughs> and I am mad when it rains and I didn't bring my umbrella because I have natural hair and it shrinks. I'm sad, yeah. This story seemed to miss me. I had wanted at some point, not wanted, yeah, kind of wanted to go and visit John the God. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this guy. He was like a miracle worker in Brazil. And I'd always oh. been like, I want to go and see this dude. Yeah. Somehow I found out that this dude is probably one of the biggest perverts in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was so sad. I was reading it like, how is this man, like, how did I not hear of this news? It looks like he may have raped hundreds of women. And I don't see how there wasn't a mass appeal out in the UK because people from all around the world went to get healing from him in Brazil. And yeah, he had just been sentenced to 19 years on, I think, two cases, but there's lots of cases pending. I was like, what? Yeah, so that was really saddening. I was like, how did I not know about this? But again, it just reaffirms, like, can't flipping trust no one, man. It's oh, like, yeah. mate. So, yeah, that made me very sad. I was mad that it, it eventually it got there, but it took the press, like, a good 48 hours before they started reporting about the protests outside of Buckingham Palace. Although mm. a story came out and they said that the Queen isn't going back to Buckingham Palace this year. They managed to get that story out, but weren't talking about the paedophile protesting. Paedophile protests outside of there and also in Liverpool as well. They've been protesting around in Liverpool too. So that made me a bit mad. And then I am thoroughly glad. Yeah, I had a really nice weekend. So I'm really glad about that. <laughs> I don't have anything profound to say. I'm just glad about having a nice weekend. So definitely still sad about Breonna Taylor and also Donald Trump seeding the seeds of saying that the voting's going to be rigged. I'm very sad about that and actually kind of mad because he's basically setting up for him to get away with whatever he's trying to get away with, uh, which is annoying. Um, and then I'm glad... It was a surprise birthday for my friend and colleague Danai over the weekend and it went out it went well without a hit. Well, she kinda at one point was saying that she was supposed to so the thing was she was supposed to be going to an event for someone else and she was like messaging people saying that she's not going and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff. So we was just like no way and this was like maybe <laughs> half an hour before I was like, oh my god, what's she gonna do? But she eventually her boyfriend convinced her uh, to go and everything like that and she was well and true thoroughly surprised as well so that was really really good and it was just nice you know to do something like that during this covid time do you know what i mean it was like really really cool so i'm sad about actually the new the new shooting jacob blake we don't know the full story but the footage is going around again and again it looks like a man unarmed man 
being shot in the back in front of his kids by police and it's caused um, riots and protests and stuff in America. Um, and also I'm glad, um, sad about the black men and interactions with internet models and their hypocrisy and all this nonsense and Megan Thee Stallion and everything like that. I'm mad about Johnson and Johnson's, the whole thing around them purposefully selling their talcum powder to black communities, even though they have been proven to cause cancer. Um, there's stuff going on, there are ongoing trials and stuff like that's happening and it's just the stories resurfacing and it's made me mad. And also mad about people stirring up African versus Caribbean wars. Um, I think we could just be a bit better. I'm also very glad that my mum made chitor this weekend and it's super hot, super peppery, and I'm about <laughs> very, very excited to immerse all my foods in all the chitor juice and eat oh like my a God. champion. <laughs> Did you say you put like 23 Scotch bonnets as well? And more. My mum was like, because it didn't taste, because when you're cooking, you know, sometimes you can't tell if something's hot. So I was like, mum, we need to put more. So I put in more and then she's like, it's so hot, she can't take any. So that means I have even more. Oh, you did that on purpose. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Because I really... Bad child. We do, my mum agreed in the moment. And also I'm very glad my mum stayed in that. She's just gone home today. It's a little bit sad, but it's been nice having her. Any comments? Going back to... The internet's dilemma. A queer Fossil has said it doesn't matter when the warning signs arrive. As soon as the weird behaviour starts, as a parent, you have to be prepared to walk. We yeah. have a saying in Ghana: if you are afraid of the divorce, then you won't have a good marriage. Ooh, interesting. Um, yeah, that's a. Uh, let me see. And then Kwame has said nothing like a versatile pot of shit off. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thank you, guys. We'll be back next week, Tuesday, 1pm. Tune in for more Aunties Could Never. Your Aunties Could Never. Anybody with um, jingle skills, please send us about six jingles. <laughs> would be great. Yeah, <laughs> drop, drop us an email. Um, info <laughs> at thebritishblacklist.com. Also, let us know if you want us, if you want to watch Brandy versus Monica with us live. If we yeah. can step up and watch it live with yes. you, let us know if you really want to do that with us. Um, that would be a fun thing if we let can. us know if you're team brandy or team monica yeah man mm. yes yeah and then can we also one two three like comment comment <laughs> again i'm done and that's it do hit us up on instagram and let us know what's made you sad mad and glad if you want to follow the aunties, here's how you can. You can follow me, Auntie AAK, on all social media platforms at The British Blacklist. You can follow me, Auntie Nana, on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter at Love Yaya. You can follow me, Auntie Shade, at Shade Salami on all platforms. And you can follow me, Auntie Farah, on Instagram at FarOutProductions77. And that's our show. You've been listening to Your Aunties Could Never podcast, hosted by The British Blacklist. Please listen to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other listening platforms. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as Your Aunties Could Never. Please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. See you later. <laughs>